I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skip Don Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Stone Tumble Pilots and their song Long Way Home off of their 2001 album, Shangri-La-Di-Da. For those of you who haven't been following along with Skip Don Shuffle for the time that we've been doing this and are maybe just finding out about us, this is actually our 50th episode, 50 episodes down. And uh, that's that's pretty pretty significant for us. And uh, I guess one thing we should we should mention that maybe I don't think we've mentioned before is that our goal is to never repeat an artist. So we've already done 50 different artists, you know, for each episode, which is which is pretty cool. And I, I feel like we could definitely do another 50 without repeating anybody. Oh, e- easily. I always feel like we've we've done a lot. Like, wow, 50 is a lot. And then I'll be listening to, you know, something. And I'm just like, oh, we haven't done them. And we haven't done that person. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's 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 a pretty long it's a pretty long to do list I think yeah there's a lot of legends that we haven't even touched on obviously we haven't we haven't done the Beatles we haven't done Prince we haven't done Neil Young I mean there's so many there's yeah, so many major so yeah we're we're gonna have no problem hitting another fifty but we've been saving uh, this particular artist Stone Temple Pilots we've been saving this for the fiftieth one because Jason and I are both just enormous Stone Temple Pilots fans I think that this is this is one of those bands that tends to get lumped into like. 90s generic kind of grunge style rock stuff you know i know you know and we'll talk about this in our in in the history and everything but stone little pilots in the beginning of their career were very uh pigeonholed as being like a grunge knockoff kind of thing like a nirvana pearl jam wannabe and and they are so much more than that there's i mean just the the depth of their music uh, the depth of the, their musicality and the the the, pl- the players on these records are just so amazing. So I, I think this is one of those bands that people tend to lump in the wrong category. I think this is like for me, this is like a like a Led Zeppelin caliber rock group. And I I know there's probably a lot of people that are gonna laugh when I say that, but whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I feel like this is like easily probably my favorite band and i realize like when you say that sometimes you need to put like the little asterisk of yes i realize other things have happened and there's been other singers and stuff but you know i i those that first set of albums with scott wyland to me are just like un untouchable and yeah i agree with you i feel like you you would say that to people and they laugh at you like stone little pilots is your favorite band and i'm like yeah because you get everything you could want like you get the heavy stuff you get pop you get like weird jazz stuff and as a guitar player also chords and stuff that you never hear in any other rock music there's like weird like i i can't describe it to people where i'm just like oh my fingers have never taken the shape on a guitar ever before yeah that that's 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 another reason why it's so funny that 
uh, the, the band gets lumped into that grunge thing because, you know, when you think about Nirvana or even even a lot of Pearl Jam songs or, 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 or you know, a lot of these like generic quote unquote 90s rock bands, a lot of them are just using traditional power chords. Like it's very straightforward rock music that, you know, pretty much any kid can pick up and learn in a couple of weeks, but not the case with Stone Tall Pilots. Like there are definitely Stone Tall Pilots songs that I can't play and I've been playing guitar for 20 something years and I'm like, there is no way I can play this song from front to back because they're just so incredible. But anyway, we can't just like gush about Sotel Pilots for the entire time. So we have to talk about this song that we're going to cover today, which is Long Way Home, uh, which is off an album that is is at the very tail end of the original lineup of this band and kind of gets passed over a lot, but uh, is definitely worth a good solid listen by by pretty much anybody who likes rock or pop music so so yeah let's get into talking about stone tall pilots and this song long way home Stone Love Pilots has two slightly different origin stories. One of the versions is that singer Scott Weiland and bassist Robert DeLeo met at a Black Flag show in Long Beach, California. They start talking at the show and soon discover they are dating the same girl. The other is that Weiland's current band, Swing, which included guitarist Corey Hickok and drummer David Allen, saw Robert perform and wanted him in their band. Not sure which one's true. But at any rate, whatever the case might be, Scott invites Robert to join his band Swing. This is around 1985-87. I found some conflicting timelines for the exact year that this happened. The drummer, David Allen, continues with the band for a while, but eventually leaves, and Eric Kretz takes his place. Hickok calls it quits in 1989, and the band is left without a guitarist. Robert decides to ask his older brother, Dean, if he's interested in playing in the band. Dean agrees, which cements the classic STP lineup with Scott Weiland on vocals, Dean DeLeo on guitar, Robert DeLeo on bass, and Eric Kretz on drums. When Dean joins the band, he refuses to be in a band that's named Swing, so makes them change their name, and they adopt Mighty Joe Young. Which I would argue is a worse name than Swing. (laughs) (laughs) As Mighty Joe Young, the band works hard playing shows, writing songs, and recording demos. They start to develop a local following in the San Diego area. Their determination pays off and Atlantic Records signs the band. They get to work on their debut album and have things mostly finished when the label's lawyers find an American blues artist under the name Mighty Joe Young. So once again, the band has to change their name. The band decides on the initials STP, taking inspiration from the logo of the famous motor oil company, and work on a series of names based on the letters, including Stereo Temple Pirates and Shirley Temple's Pussy. <laughs> this band is not good with names. That, is just, that would just be really bad. I can't imagine what the, that would have caused major problems. <laughs> Thankfully, they decide to go with Stone Temple Pilots. In September of 1992, their first record core hits the shelves. It features a number of songs that would become radio hits, including Sex Type Thing, Wicked Garden, and Creep. But the biggest song from the album was Plush. Let's take a listen. Tomorrow, 
While they found immediate commercial success, critics weren't as enthused about the band. Critics believe that the band, and Wyland in particular, were imitating other already established acts, most notably Pearl Jam. Some reviewers weren't as harsh, but it was clear fans felt quite differently about the band and their music. Illustrating this divide in the annual Music Awards issue of Rolling Stone magazine, which polled readers and critics about who they liked, Stone Temple Pilots were named the best new band by readers, while being deemed worst new band by the critics. While some music critics clearly didn't like the band, some people in the music industry really did, as the band would go on to win a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance with Plush, an MTV Video Music Award for Best New Artist, and American Music Awards for Favorite Pop Rock New Artist and Favorite Heavy Metal Hard Rock New Artist. The band tours as an opener for Rage Against the Machine and Megadeth, while also hitting the road with bands like Butthole Surfers. It's around this time that Wyland Beat starts becoming a heavy drug user, and we'll mention Scott and drug use quite a bit throughout this history. Stone Level Pilots returned to the studio in spring of 1994 to record their follow-up album. They worked quickly, finishing the record in a single month, and in June, they released Purple. The record debuts at number one. Like its predecessor, there's a bunch of radio hits on this album, including Vaseline, Big Empty, which was also on the soundtrack to the film The Crow, and this one here, Interstate Love Song. The band hits the road and even opens for the Rolling Stones to promote the record. Reviews for the record are far more favorable than Core, but by 1995, the band is already starting to drift apart, due in no small part to Wyland's recent arrest for cocaine and heroin possession. Wyland starts rehab and during this time begins working with other musicians and forms a new band, The Magnificent Bastards, who manage to release only two songs. Meanwhile, the rest of the band, the DeLeos and Kretz, started another band that would eventually turn into a future side project. At the time, it was called Vitamin and later on Talk Show, and we'll mention that band in a minute. Despite the difficulties, the band manages to pull it together for another album. They rent a ranch where they would all live to record what would be their third album, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. According to an interview, since the band had been writing lots of material before Wyland rejoined, Robert and Dean went through the songs to decide which one should be STP and which one they were going to say which ones they were going to save for a future project. Tiny Music comes out in March of 1996. The album debuts at number four. It still does well, but fails to sell as well as STP's previous records, and we'll talk a little bit about the problems with that in a minute. They released several singles, including Big Bang Baby, Lady Picture Show, but let's take a listen to probably the most well-known from Tiny Music, Trippin' on a Hole in a Paper Heart. The songs that make up Tiny Music are some of the most experimental and genre-defying the band has yet produced. 
Following a love of glam rock like David Bowie and Kiss, as well as psychedelic influences, the band broke away from the grunge era that they were associated with and explored a wide variety of sounds and styles on this album. Some critics weren't impressed and gave the album middling reviews, but a few really did like the album, including, ironically, those over at Rolling Stone magazine, calling it their best album yet. STP tried to support the record with a tour, but numerous cancellations plagued any plans to perform. Wyland's drug use had become so bad that the band, in official statements, cited that he was unable to rehearse or appear. STP was slated to play some free shows in a few major cities, which didn't happen. They were scheduled to open up for Kiss, which didn't happen. And while some shows did occur without incident, ultimately a longer tour and rescheduled dates were scrapped when Wyland eventually headed back into rehab. The band took a hiatus and the members all worked on other music. Robert Dean and Eric reformed their talk show project with singer Dave Coots, and they release an album and tour with the Foo Fighters. Meanwhile, Scott makes a very, very interesting solo record. I don't even dare try to put it into words. I love it, but it's it's crazy. (laughs) Crazy, crazy album. Neither album finds any real commercial or critical success. In 1998, Wyland is arrested for heroin possession twice, once in California and again in New York. He misses court dates. I remember reading this one story where like his lawyer is at the courthouse standing in front of the judge and the judge is like, where is he? And the lawyer's just like, I have no idea. Probably out getting drugs. So, so, <laughs> so when your lawyer, the guy you, you know, pay can't even like, I ah, give up. But Scott finally does appear in court and avoids prison by heading into rehab once again. Despite everyone likely knowing where this is going to go again, Wyland and STP reconcile and make a new album, 1999's Number 4. The album is a back-to-basics record of mostly straightforward hard rock tracks. In spite of the heavier tracks, the big hit on the record, which we'll listen to here, is the Beatles-esque Sour Girl. During this time, Wyland had more legal problems, eventually serving several months in prison in a health ward for another drug violation. He's in prison when the record is released in October. Scott is granted early release and STP work hard performing and promoting number four, making up for lost time and playing nearly nonstop from April through the end of the year. After the band wraps up touring, they start planning their next album, their fifth, which would be released in June of 2001 called Shangri-La-Di-Da. Today's song, Long Way Home, comes from that record, so we'll chat more about it shortly. But here was the lead single, Days of the Week. The album received decent reviews, but struggled to land a big hit for the band, and many of the songs weren't performed live, despite a heavy tour schedule to promote it, including the Family Values Fall Festival Tour, which included acts like Stained and Linkin Park. 
SDP continued with spring and fall tours in the U.S. in 2002, but following an argument between Dean and Scott at the final show in October and the band struggling to receive promotion from their record label, they decided to part ways. A Greatest Hits release, Thank You, came out in 2003, and it very much felt like the end, and in many ways, probably should have been, and maybe was, depending on your opinion. The band members joined different musical projects, most famously Scott Weiland sings for Velvet Revolver, until that goes the way of, well... STP? No, no one saw that coming. <laughs> so Wyland gets kicked out of that band and seemingly turns around and walks right back into STP. Dean says that Scott's wife had called up him and Robert to play at a party and helped bury the hatchet between everyone. I think she didn't want him sitting around at home. Yeah, she was like, like please get back together with Stone Cold yeah. Pilots and get out of my house. <laughs> so in 2008, STP gets back together for a 65-date North American tour. Early the next year, they start work on a new album, but their busy summer and tour schedule pushes completion back to the following year. The band releases their sixth album, the self-titled Stone Temple Pilots, in 2010. The recording process was complicated because the DeLeos wanted to produce the record themselves, a change from Brendan O'Brien being the sole producer to date for all of STP's albums. And they would also send Scott material to work on remotely rather than everyone being in the studio together at the same time. That's all another story for another day, but kind of lets you know that all isn't forgiven or well in this band. Critics mostly like the band's attempt to capture the 60s and 70s feel that STP aimed for on the record, but it continued STP's sharp decline in sales. But let's listen to the lead single, Between the Lines. SDP continued touring until the topic of the anniversary of CORE came up. Tensions mounted with the type of shows to play, arenas or theaters, and songs they would perform with skepticism by the band members that Wineland could deliver adequate live vocals for some of the tracks, particularly a few they hadn't performed since the first tour. The band eventually fired Scott in 2013 and moved on with Chester Bennington from Linkin Park, who would leave the band in 2015 and shockingly die a few years later. Scott would be found dead in his tour bus while on the road with his band The Wildabouts from an overdose on a combination of drugs. STP has since moved on with singer Jeff Goot, releasing their second record with him, Perdita, earlier this year. But now let's jump back to 2001 and talk more about STP and their fifth album, Shangri-La-Di-Da. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. Uh, 
obviously you can glean from the history that Jason just delivered that Scott Weiland has a lot of drug problems. Probably, he's probably one of the most drug problemed singer that's probably ever been in rock and roll. I mean, obviously, or, or at least getting getting caught. <laughs> yeah, he's really bad at, at doing the drugs and not and getting away with it. I know we did a we did an uh, episode on uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers who also had a ton of drug use problems, but it seemed like they were a lot better. Especially Anthony Kiedis was was a lot better at like keeping it on the DL. Whereas I feel like Scott's just like, oh yeah, I was caught with drugs twelve times this last year. <laughs> oh, there's a cop across the street. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's too bad. Uh, anyway, so. So obviously these drug problems have caused major turmoil between Scott and the other three members of the band. And as Jason member, uh, Jason, and as Jason said in the history, the only reason the members got back together again to make this record that we're talking about today, Shangri La Di Da, is because Scott's wife reached out to them and sort of put them all into a situation where they kind of had to interact with each other. And then inevitably they, you know, buried the hatchets and they decided that they were going to work together and make a new record. Uh, but there's obviously still plenty of bad blood between all of them. I mean, they're, they, they've worked together for so many years now that they kind of know each other's quirks. But at the same time, there's, there's a lot of animosity. So the management sort of suggests that the band do what they did for a previous record where they rent out a place to live and they all stay there together to kind of make the working environment, you know, more cohesive because they're all stuck in the same place and they've all got to work together. And that sounds good on paper, but when you have somebody like Scott Weiland in the mix, it becomes more chaotic. But it seems like this plan did work because at the time it does seem like they were very productive during this time. They even wanted Shangri-La Da to be a double album, but got some pushback from their record label, Atlantic Records, and even producer Brendan O'Brien kind of tried to and, and eventually managed to talk them out of it. But this was supposed to be this kind of like coming back celebration rebirth. The band was also planning to have like a fancy coffee table book. They were also making a documentary about the making of the album. So basically they rent out this mansion in Malibu. The band is all there living together. Their families are there. You know, the filmmakers are there, all these recorders and engineers around. So it's kind of a really weird communal atmosphere of, you know, people living and working together, trying to do something, you know, really, really creative. And knowing that there's all this, you know, pressure from, you know, the, the, the their previous success and also, yeah, all these internal problems with the band, which are, are even more complicated than we state because... Scott Weiland, when he talks about this, is also just like, well, Dean DeLeo in particular was also like into things and doing stuff. So, you know, he at times felt like, you know, people see me doing it and I get called out on it. But, you know, there's there's other things going on here. So it, it, it's a pretty, you know, complicated, stressful atmosphere. But I feel like some of that translates into the record and maybe especially the song we're talking about today, Long Way Home. But also, this is just a gorgeous album. I, I can't kind of emphasize that enough. And I don't know if it's because, you know, they're in Malibu by the sea, but definitely the whole record has this like Beach Boys kind of vibe and just sounding like lush, kind of like Pet Sounds does, where it's just like a lot of unexpected sounds and interesting things here, despite being, you know, this this four piece rock band. Yeah, it's almost like it's a lot more like Tiny Music, Songs from Vatican Gift Shop, their third record. Uh, if you listen to Core, their first record, it's a very straightforward 
you know, hard rock album. There's some there's some interesting stuff going on there, but it's basically crunchy guitars and hard rock riffs. And yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sound <laughs> it doesn't sound clear or pretty or yeah, any, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's very dirty, which is great. It's just dark, yeah. Yeah. And then purple, like we mentioned in, in the in the history, was made in a month, so it's very sparse. Like, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there, no question, but at the same time, it almost sounds like they just sort of polished some demos and then released it, which has a great feel to it. And, and Purple is easily one of my favorite records from them and, for, and from all time. So I'm not trying to detract against it. It's just that it definitely doesn't sound like it was produced in a major studio with tons of, tons of money behind it. It definitely sounds like it was made fast. Whereas Tiny Music has some of this like lushness that you're talking about. It has like so many overdubs and all sorts of weird instruments and different sounds that make these like really bizarre, fun, poppy just beautifully awesome rock music. And then number four, after, you know, Scott's in jail and all these problems are happening, they basically come back and they just, they basically try to recapture what they did with core and go back to like that crunchy guitar sound with like big, heavy rock songs. And then we have this album, Shangri La Di Da, which is more of that experimental sound. So really what this band is doing is they're trying to get to, you know, get to the sound that they want to get to. But every time they get there, they're always stopped by inevitably Scott Weiland fucking everything up. So it's like, they're constantly trying to like regain their footing so that they can become the band that they want to be. And I would argue that Shangri-La Di Da is the closest they got in their entire career to sounding the way that I think the band wanted to sound. And I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think like, even though, you know, commercially it looks like the band, you know, missed the mark or something, I feel like, no, this is this is the album and this was the time that they were their best. Because, I mean, if you watch any of those live shows from basically like the 1999 to 2002 period, like this band is fucking amazing. Yeah, like, it's unreal. Yeah. And I just feel like, yeah, they they got it right on here, but somehow it like, you know, didn't always connect with apparently some of the fans and even the record label. And I feel like the fact that the documentary that they were making during this time didn't come out, that coffee table book I mentioned didn't come out and the band seemingly reluctant to go all in on playing most of these songs live. I just feel like there was this like missed opportunity for them to like really believe in themselves. And I think part of it was the, the, the lack of promotion that they mentioned from the record company and in supporting them and the band had this tendency. And again, it's like this missed opportunity where they started playing like the greatest hit set list. And it was like, sure, there would be like one or two tracks and maybe, you know, one or two from Shangri-La Di Da would make it into live set. But I feel like they like this was simultaneously their most creative and also where they just kind of started to just be like, OK, we're just going to when we tour, we just play the hits. And that's very much what happened when they, you know, got back together in 2008 from, you know, then until, you know, the end, at least for, you know, Scott Weiland, they just became like, if you go to see an STP show, you know, it's going to be the greatest hit set list. And maybe they'll throw one of the, you know, lesser known songs in there, but pretty much nothing from Shangri-La Di Da. I, and I, I, I just think it's telling that even later on when the band got back together, that some of these tracks, like somehow nobody wanted to do them. And it's just so weird because I, I agree with you. I feel like this is the material that they're most proud of and most defines, at least for them, what the band is. And I don't know. It's just a weird disconnect there. Yeah, get away. Get away. 
So now that you have an idea of, of where this band is and what's going on as they're making this album, Shangri-La-Di-Da, let's talk about the track listing itself and talk a little bit about Long Way Home. So this album, as we said, is it was made in Malibu. It has this very kind of like, there's a little psychedelic stuff going on there. There's a lot of instrumentation, a lot of overdubs, very produced record, which sounds amazing. And it just has this like, I don't know, this like, this like power to it that's just incredible. And all these songs on here are really great and they all go in and do their thing. But then the last track on the album is this song that we're talking about today, Long Way Home. And Long Way Home, as you've probably been able to tell from some of the clips we've played in the episode so far, Long Way Home is definitely a sludgy, crunchy guitar song that sounds almost like it could have come from Stuntable Pilot's first record, Core. So it's very interesting to think that we have this like really deep and kind of in some ways weird record Shangri-La-Di-Da but then the last track the thing that closes it all out is you know what a lot of people would consider a classic hard rocking STP song and I don't know what do you think about that this this seems to me almost like a little nudge to to maybe fans and listeners that like some of the pilots is like hey like we could keep doing this like we we still got this in us here here you go but just so you know like we're we're not doing this because we want to keep things more varied we want to keep things interesting but if you want that like crunchy core sound here you go like that, that I don't know that that's kind of how I thought about it but I don't know what do you think yeah and and maybe part of what I think about it is just influenced by something that Scott Weiland said about this song uh, which is he said this is from the part of us that will always love Led Zeppelin and it, it when you see like the live clip of this it is like that big like you have to like play in an arena and yeah it's big and crunchy it ends with this like I think one of Dean's like best guitar solos incredible solo like like it's such a cool solo and yeah, I feel like this song is like this weird throwback on this record that's so much about like, you know, looking forward that it's kind of weird to close it on a note of almost looking backwards in some ways and reflecting on like the the music and where you've been and kind of the journey. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like this song gets kind of missed because it does come on the end of the album. And I feel like, you know, we talked about the the problems of you know, promoting this album and, you know, you can't kind of blame the, the, the record label or anyone in particular, cause the album's so diverse. It's kind of like, what do you highlight? And they decided to go with, you know, days of the week, which is this like upbeat poppy rock song, but you know, these songs are still on there. So I think like, if you listen to days of the week, you would not expect a song like long way home to also possibly be on that album. And maybe that like, you know, is part of like the disconnect and maybe does to, to some extent, you know, Scott Weiland in the song is is kind of hinting at that. So maybe we should take a look at some of the lyrics of what is possibly going on in the song. So not only is this a heavy, crunchy, sludgy song, but also the lyrics start out pretty heavy as well. Opening up with leave me out, get away. I gotta go long way home. Can't see through the trees. Leave me out, get away. Better run fast as I can. From the man, the dirty man, the old man. So we don't quite know enough information to know what Scott's talking about here. And he's the primary, pretty much all lyrics are Scott Weiland, with the exception of, I think, like one track somewhere that he co-wrote, um, which is plush, ironically enough. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, you know, in this song, it's clearly about like escaping something. And I feel like when 
if you listen to Scott Weiland singing about escaping something and running from this dirty man, I feel like he's either, you know, talking about like running away from like drugs and trying to get clean and trying to figure out, you know, I know I got to get away, but I can't. But I'm also not sure because there's also later on in the song, he talks about, is she fighting for air and where does she come from? So I don't know if the character she's talking about is this woman trying to kind of escape this relationship. And he's kind of like taking a first person perspective on that. Or if he is just kind of talking about himself and kind of just mixing things up there. I don't know what you think. I, 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 I'm kind of of a few different minds about the song. My first initial thought about the song is that it's about him uh, taking the long way home which I believe is sort of like a euphemism for going to get drugs. You know, it's like my direct route from point A to point B makes me not go past my drug dealer, but I'm going to take the long mm. way home, which is going to take me by. That's That was the first thing I thought. But just like you said, like he does mention this woman a lot in the song. And it, it seems almost like critical uh, in, the, in the last stanza. He says, what's she running from? I really don't know. Keep her running. It's a long way home. So maybe that kind of changes it. And then at the very end of the song, he says, I hear the music, the songs we know, it's out of time and the beat's too slow. So that kind of makes me think he's talking about music. I don't know. It could just be that Scott Weiland is like, you know, his brain is mushed by this point and he's just writing about like eight different things at once. It's it's hard to tell. But yeah, but like I agree with what you said where the first thing I thought of with the song's title and the initial lyrics of the song made me think that it was about his own drug use on an album that there are plenty of references to his drug use. So that would make sense. But but yeah, I don't know. It, I think STP's lyrics, you know, or I guess I should say Scott Weiland's lyrics are are great in 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 like a rock music kind of sense because they're they're vague and poetic enough that you can sort of put whatever you want into them um and and you know not speci- so specific that you have to like automatically know exactly what he's talking about like for example like with a song like Big Bang Baby like it's pretty obvious he's referring to fame and sort of criticizing his own fame and, and rock stardom and whatever but at the same time like there's a lot of lyrics in that song that you could sort of take your own meaning from and and, and put your own spin on it so I don't know. I feel like this song is one of those things where it's like he's keeping it vague purposely because that's what allows the audience to put themselves into it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And yeah, I feel like there's this kind of intensity in the song and maybe, yeah, it's reflecting kind of his own, you know, mental state, which is just clearly being pulled between I am in this rock band and I love doing this and clearly love performing and yeah, you know, Any, you know, anybody who sees Scott Weiland perform when he's on, I mean, there is, I, I, I will go on the record saying that he is one of the greatest rock front men that have ever, that have ever graced any stage whatsoever. No, no, like top five easily, you know? Yeah. And, and it might be, you know, him kind of talking about that tension between, you know, like I have this side of me that loves to do this. And I also have this kind of more private interior side that just wants to like sit around and get high. And just kind of the push and pull of that, which I feel like kind of comes through in the song. And again, as as Scott mentioned, you know, it's vague enough that it could be anything. But yeah, I feel like just constantly the sense of like being on the run and it's just like I hear a knock at the door and I'm going insane and it's beating like a drum, you know, it, where you, you you can't really find peace anywhere, whether you're you know sitting at home. It's like, 
you know, somebody like coming to bother you and and knocking on the door. Do you want some drugs? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or whether you're running and just, yeah, how hard it is to get out of pretty much any situation. And especially for him where it's just like this back and forth between like, oh, I'm I'm free. I'm like on stage performing. Oh, shit. I'm back like with these guys, you know, sitting in the studio where I know what they're thinking. You know, I know like. Yeah, they're giving me the look. Yeah, they're kind of judging me and I know they're worried and I know they're concerned, but they're also just like, stop fucking this up for us. You know, like every time we like get going, you know, it comes crashing down. So I feel like it's that's kind of what the song's about, which is just like, I got to keep running. I got to keep performing. I got to keep doing these shows, which seems to be the case, especially in this period where they were just kind of like constantly playing. And, you know, the flip side of it, which is just like, well, I also can't take a break for myself and sit around at all and I, I think there's a lot of there's been a lot of interviews and stuff with scott wineland that kind of back this up where he talks a lot about you know like the band would never take a break and we kind of needed to take a break to like recharge our batteries and he always talks about you know i love writing new music and stuff and sometimes it would be like rather than working on something new it would be like we should go out on tour and you know play the, the you know that same greatest hit set list and i feel like it's just kind of this tension that beyond just anything else that's happened in the band of just like you know resting on your laurels versus you know moving forward and doing new things and not that the other band members didn't want to do that but i feel like they didn't want to do it because you were sitting with you know scott wyland and i'm sure you know it's a difficult experience you know working with him and i think they recognize that and i think Partly the song and maybe those those music references and stuff. And maybe that's kind of a little bit about what the song is about, because despite kind of the freedom of, you know, running and getting away from things and trying to get home, there's very much kind of this claustrophobic sense in the song of just like, I need to get out of here and keep moving. And when you think about that in the context of everyone living together in this mansion cameras filming you all the time like it it probably like kind of feels overwhelming especially when you know you've been sitting in a prison cell probably you know somebody coming by to check on you like all the time so i I don't know like that's that's kind of my take on it first Stone Temple Pilots album, Core, came out in 1992, so I was nine years old, and that was old enough to be listening to the radio and to be understanding, like, you know, there's new music out there, and uh, that's that's probably the, the time that most kids start listening to music that's not in their parents' record collection. That's when they start, like, actually expanding out, and so I remember when core came out and I remember wanting to buy this, the CD and, and all that. And it was, you know, it was a big deal. Cause it was one of those bands that like, it was my band. It wasn't my dad's band. It wasn't my mom's band. It was, it was mine. It was one that I found that I really liked and I loved the record. I thought it was great, but I didn't really actually feel that I understood stone tell pilots until later, especially with tiny music. Cause tiny music was just such a, 
monumental step forward for them that just, I don't know, I can listen to Tiny Music on repeat all day, every day. It's just one of those records that every single song is great. And even when they get silly, like there's a song on there that's he's writing about his art school girlfriend and it's really bizarre and just kind of random song, but it's great. It's just, they always are delivering 110% in this band. They're always pushing it. So it was really good. But anyway, the reason, the thing that I wanted to bring up though, is that uh, when it was, it all coalesced when I actually got to see Stone Tell Pilots play and Jason and I, we saw them together uh, at uh, the Mohegan Sun Casino here in Connecticut. And it was, after Shangri-La Dad come out, but before their self-titled record had come out. So what they were doing is they were basically coming back and being like, hey, we're a band again. We're back. Here's all the greatest songs that you've ever wanted to hear. In one yeah, song. it was that initial reunion. Yeah. Whenever. Yeah. And so their set list was was awesome. It was, as Jason has said a few times now, it was heavily focused on just the greatest hits. They didn't really surprise us with anything. But the thing that I took away from that show is that Obviously, like I said before, Scott Weiland is one of the greatest front men and he was incredible. He was on that night. So I feel very lucky that I got to see him, you know, in the in the way that he was supposed to be seen. And that was notable and, and incredible and awesome. But the thing that I took away the most from that concert is the other three guys, Eric Kretz, Dean DeLeo, and Rob DeLeo. These that those that trio, those three. I don't care who you are, I would easily put them against all the other greatest rock trios of all time, whether it's Led Zeppelin or The Who or 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 even like traditional trios like Cream or whatever. Like there are very few other groups where there's a guitarist, a bassist and a drummer that I feel could top these three guys together. And I remember leaving that concert and f- just re-falling in love with the band all over again and just thinking to myself like holy shit, like I don't even know if there will be another band as great as this when it comes to rock music, you know, because we're, we're, we're in a time period now where rock music is, is not in vogue. It's not happening. You know, a lot of, you know, people are making albums on their computers at home and they're using a lot of synthesizers and drum machines and whatever. And that's fine. You know, there's, there, I love electronic music and I I'm all about that kind of stuff, but, but I, it sometimes makes me wonder like, will I ever see another band like this in the same sort of like capacity as Stone Tall Pilots. And so I, when I think about this band, I almost always go back to that moment that I left that concert and thinking to myself, holy shit, like I just witnessed something that maybe, maybe will not like happen again in the near future. And, and, and I definitely cherish that. And every time I listen to this band, I just constantly, I'm so thankful that they are, that they, that they were who they were. I remember when I first started listening to STP, Tiny Music was one of the first records that I ever bought. And I remember it was just, you know, core purple Tiny Music. And for a while, I thought that was all I was ever going to get. And I was like super appreciative of those. And I'm glad that there there has since been more. But, you know, at that time, I thought that was, you know, all, all there was going to be. I, I can't even put everything into words because I have like so many good feelings about listening to this band. Um, you know, I can listen to it and I think about my dad driving me around to record stores and searching for a single with a few live tracks that I wanted or buying some overpriced bootleg of a show and not even being sure what was actually going to be on the CD because you just buy it and it's like, it could sound amazing or it could sound like total shit. You like have no idea. And, you know, I remember finding the, the Vaseline single, which had two tracks from their MTV Unplugged show and just being like, 
thrilled. I was just like, I have accomplished something. <laughs> and, and that's kind of like the uh, sort, sort of like a theme here. Um, we went on a family vacation. I think we were going to Virginia and we checked out Asbury Park just because of the, you know, Bruce Springsteen thing just to be like, what is this, you know, place like? And I looked up a record store there and I just how much I appreciate my parents took time out of our vacation to stop and, you know, find this record store for me and let me browse around in there. Um, I found this famous, you know, back in the day, STP bootleg Violet, which had most of their unplug set. And I'm like obsessed with acoustic performances and stuff. So, you know, that was that was thrilling. And this was back in the day for anybody that used to like collect um bootleg things this was the silver bottom cd which meant it was like pressed in a real a real <laughs> legit copyright infringing <laughs> facility <laughs> as opposed to like you know the the cdr stuff but anyway that's that's a whole other conversation um but and just i don't know it's it's i looking back on it i just like appreciate it so much now and also just like how excited I was to like listen to this band and get to hear them, you know, perform in, you know, all these different ways. And I don't think it was that vacation, but we went on another one. And as a family, we all went to see STP live at, of all fucking places, the Trump Marina in Atlantic City. I saw Tears for Fears in Atlantic City and I never want to go back there ever again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, we were all just like, ooh. But I mean, we saw the band there um, and they were incredible and it's it was just kind of so cool that you know my parents like you know went out of their way to like clearly you know i'm young at the time i'm like i don't know 15 16 that they you know figured out getting the tickets and going to the show and it's just you know so cool and i don't know it's just like i could go on and on i remember you know going to to a place nearby mystic disc they still exist and number four was coming out and I remember they had it on the shelf. I, I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble, but they had it out a day early <laughs> because it came out. It came out a day early in Canada. Oh, um, so I, I got number four a day early. And I remember like getting back to the car, throwing it in my discman. Yes, my discman. <laughs> and just being like, this is the fucking greatest because um, I was so excited because like I mentioned before, you know, all I ever thought was, you know, three records. So getting a whole other record was like you know, thrilling. Um, and then, you know, just, I, I think that's just the point that I want to make about STP is that I'm just like always excited to hear them. You know, they make me like love life and despite whatever the song's about and, you know, I love it all. I love the rock songs. I like the pop songs. I like the, you know, metal shit. I like the jazzy stuff. Um, just, I love that. It kind of just goes, you know, all over the place. Um, and I should probably mention here that I also named my son Wyland. And if anybody wants to know the reason, what I explained is just the reason. And I know, you know, it has this association of just like, oh, that guy like had problems and, you know, yes. But for me, whenever I, you know, hear that or hear STP, you know, I think of all those other things first. And those are like way more important to me than, you know, any, any of the other stuff. It's like, you know, that's you know, somebody else's life, that's their own thing. But for me and what this band means to me is, you know, all that other like good stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule.
We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.